please open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's pray together. Once again, Father, as we come before your throne, we come in the mighty name of Jesus to lay before you our desire to know you, to understand who you are, to understand your love, mercy, and your grace. That we might be so overwhelmed by your grace that it flows out of us and touches others. That they might experience grace that might open their hearts and minds to embrace your grace for salvation. Would you guide us this day into all the truth, Father? Would you use this vessel to communicate clearly? And we give you thanks for the way you're going to work today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In a newsletter written back in 1999 by Denny Ryberg, who was at that time the president of Young Life, he shares this story. It was the first night of camp, and a group of tough kids from the inner city had hardly unpacked when the leaders received word about a theft. A work crew kid was missing a wallet, $35 and a watch. The next morning, Kirk, the intern from the city, found the empty wallet in his cabin he immediately called his guys together and hit them with the hard facts. Man, you guys did exactly what society expected you to do. You just proved them right, and it's a shame. Now you've got 20 minutes to produce that money and the watch, or we're all going home. Kirk then walked out and shut the door. You could hear the guys shouting at one another and scrambling around inside the cabin, and in a moment, the door opened again, and the toughest kid in the crowd presented Kirk with $35 in the watch. The money that was stolen had already been spent. But the kids had emptied their pockets and pulled their cash together. When the staff person came to pick up the stolen goods, he asked, who did it? Kirk replied, we all did. We're all guilty. We're all in this together. The kids were shocked by Kirk's display of solidarity. And then he shut the cabin door and started to preach. Let's talk about grace, he said. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. God is going to correct you, but he's also going to forgive you. Jesus is going to break you, but he's going to remake you. We all deserve to go home, but we're all going to get to stay. It was only the first morning of camp, but God had already gotten the undivided attention of 17 young, tough 
guys from the inner city. A few days, nights later, Kirk invited the work crew kid who had been robbed to come to his cabin to share his own experience of God's grace with the guys. And, and after he had shared and, and left that night, Kirk said, Now, I'm going to say a prayer. And if any of you want to give your want to pray with me and give your lives to Jesus, then just do it. And by the end of the prayer, 17 baritone voices had cried out to Jesus Christ. Grace. Grace. God's grace. Get grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that will free us from our lifestyle. That's what everybody needs in order to be saved. God's grace. But many people need to experience grace in their life by someone else before they will be open to experiencing God's grace for salvation. Not all, but many. Just as these guys from the inner city had the opportunity to experience being treated with grace. And their hearts were softened by God's Spirit through that experience to be open to receiving salvation. Many people that you and I rub shoulders with need to feel what it's like to be treated in a way they don't deserve. And that very well may be the thing that God's Spirit uses to soften their hearts to receive the gospel of Jesus. And the fact is, you and I, who have already experienced God's grace unto salvation, have been called by God to go out into a world filled with desperately needy people as we rub shoulders with them to treat them with a kind of grace that was shown to us. To love them for Jesus' sake. That they might have the opportunity to put their trust in Jesus. In order for us to do that, we need to understand grace. We need to be convinced of this grace. In fact, in, in their book, Sent, uh, Heather and, and Ashley Hoffman say there's two questions that we need to answer if we're going to be effective in living a sent life, if we're going to go out into our world and... <clears throat> Take the gospel with them with authenticity to those who need it. And they, he sta they stated in two questions. Do I really believe the gospel is good news? In other words, do I think primarily the gospel is uncomfortable news? Awkward news? 
judgmental news, maybe even bad news. If I view the gospel in these ways, I'm highly, it's highly unlikely that I'm going to share that with someone else. But if I'm convinced that the gospel is indeed good news, much more likely to share that with somebody else. And the second question is, do I really believe that every person is lost apart from Christ? Do we really believe that a person who might be a nice person, might be a good parent, might be a, a, a kind, generous, faithful person, they're really lost apart from Jesus. Do I really believe that? Do you really believe that? If we do, we're much more likely to step into an opportunity and initiate a conversation. Last week we began looking here at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We talked last time about our reality without Christ. All of us. Regardless of who we are, regardless of where we've come from, where we've been born, what family we're born into, what nationality we come from, we're all in this same condition spiritually, and that is that we are spiritually dead. We're born that way because of the sin of Adam and Eve, and that condition has been passed down to all who are born here except for one who was born in this world, and that is Jesus himself, virgin born. We are spiritually dead. And we walk in spiritual darkness. And we are destined for eternal destruction. This is the reality of our condition. Unless something happens, as the text says, but God. Right? God's love through Christ was demonstrated, excuse me, when Jesus came to earth and gave his life on our behalf. You know, we, we talked in December about why we celebrate, right? What is the real reason for Christmas? It is because God sent his son to earth to take on full humanity. Live a perfect life as an example for us. Living in complete dependence upon His Father as you and I are supposed to. And then He offered Himself willingly on our behalf by taking our sin off of us, putting it on Himself, and taking the punishment that, sin, that our sin deserves. He did that for us. He rose again on the third day, proving that God the Father accepted the payment that Jesus offered and 40 days later, he took him back to glory. And he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Apostle Paul then tells us that God has done this for us. Through Christ, that he made us alive. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's our position now as believers in Jesus. Today we want to take a look then at verses 8 through 10 
as we talk about this grace and how this grace works in our life. Let me go ahead and just recap by reading from verse 1 down through. Again, the Apostle Paul writes, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And he says, Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have our reality without Christ. We have that God's love through Christ. Today we want to talk about God's gift to us. God's gift to us. For by grace you have been saved. Salvation is the gift of God accomplished by God's grace. A gift is something that is given to someone else out of love. A gift is something that usually costs something for the giver, but is free to the recipient. We all just experienced Christmas. probably gave gifts, probably received gifts. In giving a gift, it's going to cost you something. It may cost you money to purchase that gift. Or it may cost you time and energy to make a gift. But it costs you something. And then you give that gift to someone else because you care, because you love that person. And you want to give them a gift. And that person takes that gift and opens it up and says, Oh, wow, thanks. I, I really wanted one of these. Or, or I can, wow, that's really neat. Thank you for doing that. And imagine then at that moment you say, And that's going to cost you whatever. Can you imagine doing that? That's not a gift, <laughs> that's a purchase. You may, have, you may have experienced this before. And you heard, you'll recall a few many, many weeks ago, I guess it was the first week of the, the new year, I had said, or second week, whatever, I had said, do not, do not 
go out to, to share the gospel as a salesman trying to make a sale. Right? People are not projects to be accomplished. They're people to be loved. We've all experienced maybe salesmen that have pushed too hard or whatever. Many years ago, Valerie and I experienced a, a situation where, you know, we were in a, in a situation where somebody wanted to, to build a relationship and wanted to share with us something that they were, they were doing. And, and so, well, okay, let's, we'll do that. And so we had them over and they, they shared this kind of business thing that they were in. And they had this, this product that they would like for us to try. It had health benefits, all this. And so, you know, try this product. Um, and then if you like it and feel that it's beneficial, you can buy some from us. Okay. We'll receive that, that thing and try it. And after we agreed, all the while thinking that this was something they were going to give us, we found out it's going to cost us to buy it. Imagine how we felt in that moment. Manipulated. What bait and switch did we just experience? Right? The whole presentation was, oh, here, we would like for you to try this. And, uh, and then we agree, and then, oh, yeah, by the way, it's going to cost you, you know, $60, whatever it was. That is not what you and I want people to experience. Right? Some bait and switch. Whether it's, you know, we're... I want to be your friend, but then if you aren't ready to hear the, the gospel, aren't ready to receive that, then I'm just going to turn and walk away. I mean, that does not set well. Or can you imagine God doing that to us, saying, I've done all this for you, I offer you this, and then, and then when it comes time to say, okay, yes, Lord, I, I agree, I believe you, I agree, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, I, and then God says, well, it's going it's to cost you something. It's not a gift. God has given us salvation as a gift. And He accomplished that gift or paid for that gift by His grace. Grace, someone has said, is God's resources at Christ's expense. Or maybe God's righteousness at Christ's expense. It's God giving us what we need. But it cost Him something. And it was the death of His own Son. Salvation is a gift. It's accomplished by His grace. That's why He says, for by grace you have been saved. But secondly, salvation is a gift of God appropriated by our faith. There's a response of faith. Just as when you give a gift to someone, they receive that gift, they take the packaging off, open it up, take what's inside, and utilize it. Receive it. Right? What good does that gift do if someone gives uh, you a gift for, for Christmas or your birthday or whatever, and, and you set that gift, and it's still wrapped up, and you set it on the table, or you set it under the Christmas tree or whatever, and you never do anything with it? You've got to receive it. We receive the gift of God by by our faith, our response of faith. And it's not just faith. It's faith 
in Jesus Christ. Just as he said back in verse 7, in order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This gift is our faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul says in Galatians 2, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Romans 3, Paul says, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, that is, by the Old Testament, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. It's not faith in faith. It's not just, well, I, I just have faith. No, it's faith in Jesus Christ and what Christ did for us. That's why we talked last time about biblical faith uh, has a, a knowledge of, an assent to, and a trust in. There's a knowledge of something. i got to know that I am a sinner, and my sin has separated me from God, and I can't do anything about that. But God did, and he sent his son who came and took my sin upon himself, and he died in my place and experienced the, the just wrath of God on my behalf. I've got to know that. And then I've got to make an ascent to that. I've got to believe that that's true. It's not just fairy tales. It's not just stuff to keep kids in line. It's real. It's, it's happened, and I believe that. But I've got to put my trust in it. I've got to put the weight of my, my, my confidence of my life, my eternity in the hands of Jesus and what he did. That's biblical faith. That's saving faith. That's what appropriates the gift in our life. And so he says, by grace you've been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. The that there is referring to the whole concept of salvation. Again, theologians kind of speculate, is it referring to faith itself? Is it referring to grace? Is it refer it's referring to salvation and everything about that. It's just God's gift to us. It's not the result of works that we do that no one can boast. This Christmas, I got a few a few gifts. I got a new a new uh, jacket, new new winter jacket that I, I wanted. It's a Carhartt, and I, I wanted this. But Carhartts aren't cheap. So a couple people went together. You know, my wife and my in-laws and my brother-in-law. They kind of all pulled their money together and bought me this gift. I love that jacket. I wear it every day. Went to a restaurant the other day, and I didn't even want to put it in the, in the rack there because I thought, I'm going to take my car heart. So I kept it in my seat. I also got a ball cap from my son, Geneva College. I like that hat. I don't even typically wear a ball cap except when I play golf. And I wear a golf hat. I've been wearing that hat every day, back and forth to work, because I love the hat, because it was a gift given to me by people that love him. 
You may have noticed that on my pickup truck, I have, since probably bought, I bought that truck, how many years ago, I have a, a license plate on the front. It says, number one Steeler fan. Well, I got a, a new license plate from my oldest son and daughter-in-law. I just mentioned to them, you know, when I'm out there, I'd like to look at the Geneva license plates. And they couldn't find one they liked, so they had it made specially for me. You better believe I changed that and put Geneva on it. First of all, because I'm not the number one Steeler fan. But I am a Steeler fan, even when they don't have a Super Bowl winning year. But things look really good for the future. I just have to say that. But anyway, um, people have said to me, I can, I can see, I know your truck when I see it coming because it has that license plate. Well, now you can see my truck coming. It's got a Geneva license plate with a big tornado sign on it. I want to put these gifts on display because they were gifts given to me by people that loved me. I didn't do anything to deserve it. I didn't do anything to pay for them or earn them. They were gifts given to me by people that said, I love you and I want to give you something that I think you're going to like. And I took them, I opened them up, I took what was inside, and I want to put it on display. I want to utilize it. This is what God have us to do. It's a gift he's given us of salvation. It was purchased by his grace and received by our faith. So when people see us coming, they see the gift of God's grace in our life. And that's what he talks about here in verse 10. This is our work for God. This is the outcome of salvation. This is the evidence, the fruit that comes as a result. It's what's put on display outwardly because of the gift that was given to us that we received inwardly. It's what verse 7 was all about when he says, in order that in the ages to come, God might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We are that display because we are a recipients of the grace of God and the work of that grace within our lives. God says, I want you now to be the display of my grace as you walk on this earth in the presence of other people. They might see the gift that I gave you. It's evident in your life. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before Him that we should walk in them. We are saved for good works. Warren Wearsby said, we are saved by faith plus, I'm sorry, we are not saved by faith plus good works, but by a faith that works. Dr. Constable, the commentator, says, good works are not the roots from which salvation grows. They are the fruits God intends it to bear. We are not justified by good works. We are justified for good works. And then 
John MacArthur, in his commentary, says, although we have no part in gaining salvation, good works have a great deal to do with living out our salvation. No good works can produce salvation, but many good works are produced by salvation. Jesus said, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. John 15, 8. And then MacArthur goes on to say, before we can do any good work for the Lord, he has to do his good work in us. By God's grace, made effective through our faith, we become his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has ordained that we then live lives of good works, works done in his power and for his glory. His workmanship. That word is a wonderful word. It means something that's been created. A work of art. A masterpiece. That's who we are. Our problem is we don't see ourselves that way, do we? And to look at ourselves and say, man, if I'm a masterpiece, God may not, might not be a very good artist. That's because you and I don't see ourselves the way God sees us. God is a master artist. Just look around at the creation. And he has worked in your life, and He is still working in your life to produce what He intends. Not always what we want, but what He intends in our life. And one of the things that I'm, I'm learning more and more is that our tendency is to, to think that we are most effective when we are operating out of out of our strengths and our, our competencies and, and all these things. And so we work really hard to get better, to better ourselves at, at everything we do. And we think that one day I'll get really good at being a Christian and then I'll be able to be a really good witness. And I'm realizing more and more that we are much more effective when we operate out of our weakness and out of our incompetencies because God is at work there. And just as Larry quoted before from, from the Apostle Paul, who wanted God to remove this... this um, thorn in his flesh. And Jesus' answer was, I'm not going to remove that. That's an area of weakness in your life. I'm going to leave there. But guess what? My grace is sufficient for you. And my power is perfected in what? Your weakness. Not in your strength. Not in your competency. Not in your ability to be some great testimony and witness for me. My strength is made perfect in your what? Your weakness. Your inabilities and your own strength. And so when we operate out of vulnerability and weakness, we're much more effective for Christ than we operate out of our competencies. And that's a, that's a real paradigm shift in our head, isn't it? We are created in Christ Jesus. Created by God at creation and then recreated in Christ Jesus for salvation. And God is still working in us. We are new creatures in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. God is at work. 
So we are saved for good works and we are called to walk in good works. Created things are created for a purpose. Go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and you see a fourfold purpose for God creating man, mankind. You see reproduction, right? Be fruitful and multiply. You see service. Cultivate the garden, right? Have dominion over creation. You serve God in these ways. We're created uh, thirdly for obedience. Of all the trees of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you may not eat, for in the day in which you eat it you will surely die. There's a, a call to obedience. And then lastly, there's relationship. Right? God came and, and spent time with them in the garden until they disobeyed. And then when he came... <laughs> To spend time with them, they hid themselves because they were ashamed because they had disobeyed. God has a purpose for His creation. He has a purpose for you and I who are created in Christ Jesus. And that purpose is to walk in these good works which God prepared beforehand. While we were spiritually dead, we were characterized by the flesh, the world, and the devil. The things of, of that realm, but now we are characterized by good works. What does it mean that God prepared them beforehand? Well, there's two ways of thinking about this. Does God have certain good works for each of us to accomplish before we die? You know, God it says, okay, you know, Britt, here's ten things that you need to do before you die. Let's figure out what they are. <laughs> right? Sometimes we think, well, okay, well, I got to do these good works God prepared for me to do. Or is it that God has prepared good works so that we have a way to be useful in this life for God? I tend to think it's the latter. That God says, I have given you things to be doing, to, to be participating in, so that you can be part of, a useful part of what I'm doing here on planet Earth while you journey to glory. He says, I want you to walk in those things. Walk in them. I think the, the NIV is a, is a fine translation, but I think in this verse, it gets it wrong. Because the NIV says we are to do them. The word that's used there does not mean do, it means walk. It means to conduct oneself in a and be the order our behavior in such a way to walk about in this life. We are to walk in these things, and so God says, "I have recreated you in Christ, and as you yield your life to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's going to do such a work in you that there are going to be things that come out of your life. They're called the fruit of the Spirit: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness." faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things will become evident as you walk out your faith in this life, in relationship with other people. Guess what? These things are going to come out of you. It's going to affect other people. Being a witness in our life is a good work. And as I said at the beginning, people 
oftentimes need to experience grace. They're going to understand and, and appropriate God's grace in their life by faith. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, so you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. He says, how we treat each other will be a reflection to the world of whether or not we are disciples of Jesus. It's almost as if God said, I'm giving the world the opportunity to judge you. And how are they going to do that? By watching the way you treat each other, first of all. And secondly then, Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And he said, and the second is like unto it, love what? Your neighbor as yourself. my neighbor? Jesus was asked that question. Right? And the answer is, he told the story of the Good Samaritan. And the answer is anyone who has a need. And then Jesus went so far as to say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So guess what? There isn't anybody out there that we aren't supposed to love. And to love somebody, especially somebody who is hard to love, means that I am called to extend grace toward them like God has extended to me. Again, part of our problem is we look at someone who's hard to love and we think they're harder to love for me to love than I am for God to love. Uh-uh. We, yeah, again, we get this all messed up because we're living in our flesh, right? We're, but the fact of the matter is, until we come to grips with our own sin and the offense that we in our sin are to a holy God, and we understand what that sin requires, right? Do we really believe that lost people are really lost without Jesus? And then... Do I really understand grace and the good news of the gospel for me and what it is for others? And that's why it's so important that we preach the gospel to ourselves before we preach it to others. We get it and understand it. Then we step out and we say, God, help me. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to start this conversation. I don't... God, help me. I'm willing. I just sang before I got up here, you know, use me, right, in any way you choose. This ransom life, this life that's been purchased by Jesus, God, will you use me in any way you choose? That's a hard prayer to pray. That's what he's called us. Well, our challenge this year has been this. Ask the Lord to put one person on your mind or on your heart, right, that you can begin, either continue to cultivate a relationship with or begin a relationship with for the purpose 
of loving them for Jesus' sake, that they might experience his love through your relationship and might be open to hearing the gospel and quite possibly respond in faith, right? Over a period of time in which we spend with them. That's our challenge. My question is, have you decided you're going to take the challenge? Maybe you're still contemplating it. Maybe you're still asking the Lord to give you that person. Well, this morning, I want to pray for us. For those who have already decided and have already started praying that that person's heart would be softened and all of those things we talked about. And for those who are still contemplating who that might be, and even for those who say, well, that's not for me. I want to tell you, it is for you. It's for all of us. But I want to pray for us because we're all on this kind of continuum in this. But we want to be praying for each other. So would you stand as we conclude? I'm going to pray and then we'll have our benediction. Well, Father, you know where each of us is in this, in this challenge. Which I, I, I believe comes right from your word when you call us to go and make disciples. When Jesus told his first disciples when he ascended to glory and said, be my witnesses. We're all called there. God, I pray for, for those who are Boy, that place where, where they're thinking, well, I, I'm, who am I to be a witness for Jesus? I got all kind of junk in my life. I got all kind of things I got to straighten out. Lord, remind them you're not looking for perfect people. You're looking for sinners who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, who can testify to what God has done in their life. Help them see. You call us to operate out of our weakness and vulnerability, not out of our strength. And God, for those who are saying, I want to do this, but I'm not, not sure who it is, and maybe they're dragging their feet a little bit, Lord. You know how we can be. Pray that you will put a fire under their heart, under their, their, their feet, and, 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 and cause conviction to grow within their heart. They would desire this more than they desire the comfort of staying on the sidelines. And Lord, for those who said, yes, Lord, I want to be part of this. I'm not sure what it's going to look like. Quite honestly, Lord, I'm a little bit afraid. God, would you give us courage? Would you stir within us. Would you open our eyes to see and walk into those opportunities with the confidence of a warrior. And God, continue giving each of us the ability to see people the way you see people. Not as people to be avoided, people that drive us crazy, people that we don't want a relationship with, or even people that are nice, kind, generous. Help us to see people as sheep without a shepherd. 
Help us to see them with compassion. Knowing that they need Jesus Christ. And may we bring Him to them through our love, our grace, our actions and through our words. God, may You get the glory as You work in us and through us. And now to Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly on all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be the glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, through all generations forever and ever.